Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. And the big news of the day, of the week, is the 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame class has been announced. Sean, this is always a big day, and this usually comes after the Stanley Cup is awarded, but this time before we get anything going, but huge day for a six-member class of 2020. Yeah, unbelievable class. Some some uh, some surprises for sure, and some guys we thought would probably get in. But uh, you know, a class that's uh, highlighted or headlined by Jerome Gimma and Marion Hosa, I think both first time uh, eligible and uh, both getting in. Followed, uh, you know, by Lowe and Wilson, um, Kim Saint Pierre from the women's game, the goalie from the Canadian national team, and uh, Kenny Holland as a builder, which uh, you know. I guess they're moving more and more towards having active builders go in, but uh, you knew at some point Kenny was going to get in, but uh, maybe a little bit earlier than people thought. But what a fantastic class when you think about what these six people have done for hockey, the cups that have been won, the the great teams that they've played on, the gold medals that they've won between St. Pierre and Jerome McGinley. Um, Just unbelievable class. Yeah, and it usually is. Obviously, it's the Hall of Fame. It's always a great class that goes in, but – you know, this one, the difference is amazing, too, because you said you have Jerome McGinley and Marion Hosa, who are first-year eligible, and they're both going in. They're going to be inducted in November. And by the way, we should point out that the induction ceremony, which is t- usually takes place in November, that's still tentative because of all the stuff going on with the coronavirus. Uh, maybe the Hall of Fame will have some news in, in August. But so you got McGinley and Hosa going in. And then Kim St. Pierre from the women's game. This is her fifth year since that she would be eligible to get in. And she is, I believe, the first goalie uh, of the women's game to go into the Hall of Fame. And then you got Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson, 20th year of eligibility for Kevin Lowe and 25th year of eligibility for Doug Wilson. So first to 25th, and it kind of just goes to show you that you're never out of it, I guess, right, Sean? I mean, you're never out of it. Doug Wilson's been waiting a long time. And short of winning the Stanley Cup for what he's done in San Jose, he easily could have gotten as a builder too. But his playing career with the Blackhawks was terrific. And, uh, you know, I mean, so he gets in in his 25th year of eligibility. Kevin Lowe, I remember Wayne Gretzky has been stumping for years for Kevin Lowe to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So it is a great class. We'll get Mike Zeisberger on here to discuss that shortly. And we also have uh, what I think is a pretty revealing and telling interview as we move on from the Hall of Fame stuff later in the show with Minnesota Wild forward Kevin Fiala. But it is a Hall of Fame day, and you're right, Jerome again, LaShawn, the headliner of the class. And it was a very long Hall of Fame call that we listened to just a few moments ago, but I thought Aginla talking about what this means to him, uh, I thought that was a very special part of the Hall of Fame media conference call. It was, and he's only the fourth black player to get into the Hall of Fame. And when you looked at the class and who could be eligible, and you don't know who's nominated until they get in that room. Um, but, you know, we looked at all the players that were eligible. We talked about it last week in the podcast. And, you know, I mean, look, 1,300 points. You know, the only thing he didn't do in his career was win a, a Stanley Cup, and he came awful close in the, the year against the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the better Stanley Cup finals that I can remember, especially for two captains, him and LeCavier going against each other. So, um, you know, just a fantastic career. And, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame for playing. If there was a separate Hall of Fame for being nice, he would be in that one even <laughs> earlier. No, no question about it. In fact, Lanny McDonald, uh, chairman of the, the selection committee or is involved with the selection committee, makes the phone calls. He's the one, he called himself Santa Claus. He gets to make the phone calls. He told a great story about uh, years ago when he was with the Flames in a, in a management role. Jerome Aginla was the last guy out of the hotel always. He gets on the bus, and Lanny was signing autographs for some fans. And Lanny was kind of hoping that Jerome would stop for some of the kids to sign, and he didn't. Yet there he goes onto the bus, and he says to every one of his teammates, everybody off the bus, and let's sign autographs for these kids for a little bit, and then we can leave. And that was the kind of captain and leader Jerome McGinley was. He was obviously a terrific player, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, so many good things to say about Jerome McGinley. To me, he was the slam dunk of this uh, class, no question about it. And I thought Hosa three-time Stanley Cup champion with the Blackhawks, five times in the final, uh, 1,134 points, 
Uh, I thought he was also uh, pretty close to being a lock or should have been pretty close to being a lock uh, in his first year of eligibility. What did you think, Sean? I thought so, too, because you think about it, he was a point-per-game player, you know, in his era, which is almost unheard of. You know, it wasn't the Gretzky era where he was scoring points all the time. Uh, you know, whether you want to call it the dead puck or whatever you want to call it, the, the scoring was down. And, he, you know, he was over a point per game, not by much, but he was there. And then you think about how good he was away from the puck. You know, he was he, he was one of the better defensive forwards, you know, of his generation. And normally it's a specialty, right? When you think about defensive forwards, you, they either do that or they score. And Hosa could do both. I mean, he was he was a consummate 200 foot player. Um, look, it took him forever to win the cup. And then he went for three straight seasons with three different teams. Um, and you know, I I think that says a lot about not only perseverance, but about what you bring to a team. Like he was, he was kind of the missing piece for three separate teams. Um, and, uh, you know, and then that prime that he had with, with the great team in Chicago and look, that was it. That was the supporting cast that he needed to really showcase who he was and what he could do, but you know, they don't win those cups without him. No, and if it wasn't an award that typically or traditionally now goes to only a center, he could have been a three or four time Selkie Trophy winner. Easy, no question about it. But the stuff that creates buzz is the snubs, the ones who don't get in. They they create the conversation now. And to me, and I know for a fact we're going to get to this with Mike Zeisberger shortly. But to me. How Alexander McGilney still does not get his Hall of Fame nod is, I just don't get it. And, and it is timing. And you get Kevin Lowe in, you get Doug Wilson in, and those guys have been waiting a long time. And I understand that. And then you're going up against Hosa and Aginla. But I've laid out this argument in, in my story, uh, you know, detailing the candidates for this season. If Paul Correa is in the Hall of Fame, and he is in the class of 2017, then it stands to reason that McGillney has to be too. He played in one more game than Korea, 990 versus 989. He had 71 more goals, 43 more points. He won the Stanley Cup. Korea never did. They both won gold medals at the Olympics. They both won Olympic gold, uh, world championship goals, and they both won world junior goals. How is Alexander McGillney not already in the Hockey Hall of Fame? I don't know. It's a complete mystery to me. And I, forget all that. Like, he changed the game. Right. He was the first Russian to come over. He he opened the door for everybody that followed him, all the great Russian players that have come behind him. You know, and I hate and I understand why we do it. And we do it with everybody as we we make these tiers and we say this guy's in and look at this guy's stats. Right. You, you can do it with any player. You could say, look, here's his stats and they're better than this guy who's in the Hall of Fame. And. That makes me crazy because we shouldn't be pitting guys against each other. But what I will say is you, I, I very much take what Hall of Famers have to say. Like you were talking about with Kevin Lowe and Wayne Gretzky. Nobody yeah. knows a Hall of Famer better than Wayne Gretzky. Pat LaFontaine will sing Mogilny's praises up, down, left, and right. Pat LaFontaine knows a little bit about a good hockey player. He's one himself and and – the magic that they had together was unbelievable. And, and to me, I, McGillney has every on-ice accomplishment that you need. But then on top of that, his bravery, his courage, everything else that went along with it, it makes him different from almost any other player that's up for consideration. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And I just think the comparison, like I, I, we, just, we look at statistics for a lot of this, and that comparison to, to Paul Correa just rings out to me. Like, if Paul Correa's in the Hall of Fame, this guy should be in. Fedorov's in, right? I mean, uh, he had a great career. Well, Burry had a great career. McGillney had a great career. So I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm curious, before we get to Zyze, where do you land on Daniel Alfredson? He had 1,157 points in 1,246 games, 18-year career. Did win an Olympic gold with Sweden in 06 uh, and a silver in 2014. He won the Calder Trophy, but he never won the Cup, and he never won a major award after that. I see a lot of stumping for Daniel Alfredson every season. Where do you land on Alfredson? Because I'm very much on the fence here with him. Well, I think he should be in. I think he's an iconic player for, you know, the Ottawa Senators. I think some of that goes into it, right? I, I Look. it's about what you do on the ice, but it's about what you do for the game as well. Like how important is he to that Ottawa Senators franchise? And again, the other thing, you know, and we talked about this a little bit, I think it was last week when I was 
kind of doing a minor stump for Hawk and Lube. Yes, um, you were. That's right. But but it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's not the NHL Hall of Fame. And we forget about what all these players did for their home countries that are so important. I, look, Sweden won a gold medal as an Olympics, and it was huge. And Daniel was a huge part of that. But then now I look and, you know, you're like, oh, well, he should get in. Next year is the Sedins. Is he yeah. going to get in over the Sedins? Maybe he should. He's got better numbers. But he's not but, going to because, but of, the impact, because of the impact the Sedins had. You compare them. Neither one of them won the Stanley Cup either, right? They did get to the Stanley yeah. Cup final like Daniel Alfredson. They won Olympic gold like Alfredson. Um, but we ju- I think we just look at them in a different light. But they're both iconic players. Well, all three are iconic players for their franchises. And, you know, the, the impact that they've had in those communities uh, goes – and their country go, goes – you know, is Hall of Fame worthy? So, yeah, I, I think if you, you – I always looked at it like Matt Sundin is in the Hall of Fame. He had a great career. I'm, I'm kind of like if Matt Sundin's in the Hall of Fame, maybe Daniel Alfredson should be, but I, I'm a little on offense. I'm curious what Mike Zeisberger thinks of this because Zeis covered a lot of Daniel Alfredson's career, and I know he has strong thoughts on Alexander McGillney as well. So let's bring in Zeis to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame, the snubs, and who got in. Zais, thanks so much for jumping on with us. Uh, the Hall of Fame class, Sean and I just went over it. Jerome McGinley, Marion Hosa, Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, Kim St. Pierre, and Ken Holland as the builder. What do you think of the announcement? What do you think of the class of 2020? I thought for the most part, and thanks for having me on, guys, I thought it was a, a very worthy class. Um, we all have our pet peeves about these things. Uh, the one guy I look at, and this is not to take anything from the career that he had, was Kevin Lowe. Um, you know, I make a distinction between is it the Hockey Hall of Fame or is it the Hockey of the Hockey Hall of Very Good? Mm-hmm. Um, was Kevin Lowe the type of guy that you paid money to watch? Was he one of the top three or four defensive defensemen of his era because, I mean, if we're going to say he's not he's not in there because of his offense, we could go with that, um, you know. And I just I, – I think he was a very good player. Um, but that's the one guy that's in there that, that, that you know, I, I just scratched my head a bit. A bit. I mean, uh, he won a boatload of Stanley Cups, but at the same time, uh, look, at, look at his supporting class. So – um, or cast, I should say. So, but otherwise, I mean, how do you argue with uh, Jerome McGinley should be in there? Marion Hosa, I mean, I think the only debate with Hosa was would he get in on the first time around? But I mean, here here's a 200 foot player that scored over 500 goals. Um, yeah, you know, you look at you look at all of them. Kim St. Pierre, I mean, the first woman goalie in there. Uh, you know who. Uh, who idolized Patrick Waugh. Uh, you know, we got, and Doug Wilson. I mean, I, I'm so glad for Doug because, I mean, this guy led the NHL in defensive scoring for 10 consecutive years. I mean, how much more can you dominate a category than when you played? So, And obviously, Ken Holland speaks for himself. So, um, all in all, uh, a very good uh, class. I thought it was good. I mean, the only place where I would have little wiggle room would be Kevin Lowe. But I, look, I mean, you could say the Hall of Very Good and you can look at his, his supporting cast, but all he did was win the whole time he was in he was in Edmonton. And you talked to a lot of those guys from that Edmonton team, and he was basically the glue that kept them together. You know, Dan talked about it in our opening segment, how Gretzky is, has, you know, gone to bat for him numerous times that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And in, in making the argument about Alexander Mogilny, I cited Pat LaFontaine. To me, like what the Hall of Famers think about their peers and who should be in that group with them is a huge part of it. So um, the, I was kind of up in the air with Kevin Lowe until I heard some of those things. And then you think about it some more and you're like, hey, this is the Hall of Fame. And these Hall of Famers are saying, here's a guy who belongs in. So, um, And that's one of the things I like about the selection committee. Everybody complains about it being private. We don't know what they do. But a lot of people that are on that committee for the 15-year run that they have are Hall of Famers that know what the criteria should be for joining a group that they already belong to. But, you know, Sean, I mean, that's a great point. But um, whether a guy is, you know, what guys are saying about somebody like in the dressing room and stuff like that, still, I mean, is Kevin Lowe more of a Hall of Famer than Alex McGilney? 
did Kevin Lowe bring you out of your seat when he touched the puck? Uh, I would say no. Um, and that's got to that's gotta count for something. Along with the fact that, and I've been beating this drum for a long time, uh, Alex McGillney has more points all time than Hall of Famers LaFontaine, Keon, McDonald, Korea, Rocket Richard. Higher goals per game average of 0.48 than Gordy Howe, Steve Heiserman, and Joe Sackick. And only three players scored more goals in a season than McGillney's 76 in 1992-93. Now, add that to the fact that, like I said, even when his career was waning a little bit, you never knew. Every time he touched the puck, you thought, you know what? I might be brought out of my seat with this guy. So... I'm not saying that Kevin Lowe doesn't deserve it, but anybody that tells me, you know, I, I mean, on the ice, that Kevin Lowe is more of a Hall of Famer than Alexander McGillney, in my humble opinion, I just don't buy that. I wonder if this was the year that the selection committee looked at and said, we got two first-time eligible guys yeah. that, okay, let's put them in, and now let's take a look a deep look at the guys who have been waiting the longest or among the longest. And let's see if we can, for lack of a better term, right the wrongs. And I've, yeah. I'm a hundred percent agreeing with you that McGilney is a hall of famer, but maybe his wrong gets righted next season or the year after that. And maybe that's what they were thinking with Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson. And I have no argument with Doug Wilson. And let, I, I, I see your point on Kevin Lowe, but when Wayne Gretzky starts to tell me he's a Hall of Famer and he was that important to the teams and all that, and he has six Stanley Cup championships, uh, I kind of buy the fact that he can be in the Hall of yeah. Fame. You know, uh, the, but I, I do wonder, you know, are they, are they just, did they use this year to hold, you know, for, like I said, for lack of a better term, right the wrongs. But did Hosa have to go in on the first ballot or the first year of eligibility? If he went in next year, would that have been a big? And like I said, we're nitpicking no. here because there's nothing, nothing in this class where you can say, you know, OMG, there's no way he should, <laughs> he should be in there. Um, I don't think you can say that about any of them. So we are nitpicking. But this is all, guys, isn't this one of the best days of debate uh, that we have all year? is in the hours after uh, the Hall of Fame class is announced. I mean, it's so much fun because all these guys are worthy of consideration. First of all, it's the greatest debate ever because Mike Seisberger used OMG. <laughs> like my teenage kids. That's, that, that makes the whole... This makes staying late to do the podcast worth it. But it is. Look, Well, but that's, be, that's because, Sean, I don't know if you'll change it, so... Yeah, well, exactly. But we're 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 talking about greatness. Like you're arguing about players that are the elite of the elite, you know. And, and you can make all yeah. these arguments. The the, the one thing I, I want to say, and, and I, I think they have to address it at some point. Well, there's two things. One, to Dan's point, you, you can't manage the calendar and be like, okay, we're not going to put McGillney in this year because we're going to put him in next year. And then you get to next year and the sun and, and the Sedins are there and whoever else is there and the votes don't go your way. And then all of a sudden you're where you're at with Doug Wilson and Kevin Lowe. It's 20 years and people are like, well, if they couldn't get in early, why do they get in now? But the other thing is, you know, there were two builder spots and they only used the one. And, and again, none of us are going to argue about Kenny Hall and he deserves everything that he gets. But when are they going to start recognizing some non-traditional builders, right? Like, to me, being the goalie guy that I am, when's a goalie coach going to go in? When, when's Allaire? When's Corden? When is one of these guys who have been so integral to what's happened to goaltending since the Patrick Wire area to now where it's not even recognizable to what goaltending was when I was a kid? When did they get credit and they go in? Well, I'm going to take it another step. Sean, and, and this way you guys can debate what category these guys can go in, okay? There's a huge debate, especially in Canada, as to whether Paul Henderson deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I can only address it to this way. If you look at his stats in the NHL, no. Having lived and been in public school for that 72 series, okay, Work, people in this country in Canada, like uh, people got off work for, game, for the final game. At school, all the schools stopped. Every school in the middle of the week stopped. 
and you, you went into the gym and, and watched that game. And he scored three consecutive, the winner in three consecutive games. To me, the two most important goals that have ever been scored in the history of hockey was Paul Henderson's and Mike Ruzioni's. So at some point, and I understand that those teams are honored, um, the, the 1980 U.S. team and the 72 uh uh, Canada team against Russia. They are there's tributes to them in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but it's the hockey. It, are, there's no two more famous goals in my mind. So I don't know if you put them in as a builder, or I don't know if you put them in as a player. And yeah, it's great that their teams are honored, but I think that there's got to be some kind of category or something where Mike Ruzioni and Paul Henderson are in. Uh, a category of their own. I know we're going into dangerous places here, but it is the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I will repeat, to me, there have been no no two more influential or famous goals than those. Questions, well, comments? Yes, I well, comments, not really questions, because my <laughs> feeling on that is, is that you can't induct moments, right? You induct players for what they did for the duration of their career, you're not inducting a moment. You're not inducting a specific moment in time. That's what the the uh, exhibits are for at the Hockey Hall of Fame. And if you look at Paul Henderson, I understand the impact of that name in Canada. Uh, I get it. It's a huge impact, especially for hockey fans who were around at the time, you know, 40-some-odd years ago uh, for that. But... It's a moment in time. It's not a career. Uh, I don't think he did enough to build the game. He built a moment. Same with Micah Ruzioni. So, size to your point, I don't see that in terms of builders. But I do see what Sean is saying. Like, Francois Allaire, uh, he, his, his pupils are in, his students are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But it was his vision that changed the face of goaltending and built the position to what it is right now. And I, I, I tend to – sorry, Zais, tend to agree with Sean more on this one than I do with you. To use a Quebec term, hell shock. Um, but, uh, <laughs> as long as that's the only by term the way, you use. By the way, he did a lot to build the game. So did the, so did the equipment uh, uh, mushrooming out like the, so they looked like the Michelin men in, in goal because – uh, yeah, you know, but... those two things went. Those two things went hand in hand. And I will say this: I agree with you guys totally um, on the goalie coaches and that. But I will tell you that Martin Berdur, uh will not be doing the induction speech for Francois Lair if he gets in. No, and I look. I would argue that Mitch Korn should get in before Francois Allaire, but that's just my personal yeah. opinion. But look, yeah. Dan, I got to take some offense with you. You could say that they didn't have an impact on the game because of one moment. I don't know that anybody in USA hockey had a bigger impact on American hockey than Michael Ruzioni. I'm not saying that he belongs in the hall of fame because I don't know that he does. And there is an international hockey hall of fame. That is a perfect repository for all of these players that only had success Olympic wise or world championship wise or whatever it is. But to say that he didn't have an impact, there might be no great American hockey players that we all know the halls and, and all those guys that came after Garin Madano, if it wasn't for Michael Ruzioni, I'm not saying he deserves no, no. to be in the hall of fame because of it, but to, to say that he didn't have an impact is, hey, is completely I, off base. In my opinion, I'm not saying he didn't have an impact. He had an impact, but Michael Ruzioni represents a, a, a significant moment. It's the team that had the impact, it, you know, if Mark Johnson scored that goal, is Mark Johnson a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, same, you know, you can ask it about any one of those players that were on that team. Ruzioni happened to score the goal, and then they had to kill another 10 minutes. But to the broader point, like, there were moments, and these were great moments, but the player himself is not a Hall of Famer, and that is my but point. But, Dan, what – what is the definition of Hall of Fame? You said you said that you know for the duration of of a career. Where does it say that? I mean, where well, that, is that's the definition, definition that says <laughs> that it is that other than in your own personal dictionary? Um, but 
Where does it where does it say that? I mean, if you're talking, it says fame of fame. Okay, and that's great. Mark Johnson was part of that team. He did not score that goal. Okay, young American kids didn't grow up dreaming of being Mark Johnson. They great drew grew up wanting to be Micah Ruzioni, um, not because of anything else that he did, but because of that. And that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's great to honor the team, but they were, you know, Ruzioni and Henderson, which in 72, believe me, I mean, not many people knew much about, forget about Russian hockey players, about or the Soviet hockey players, about the Soviet Union period. And that was the first time... Um, I know in the North American hockey culture that we had ever seen five man units that we have, you, you go talk to like a Phil Esposito or somebody like that. The Russians were the first ones that they started back passing. Well, nobody had ever seen that stuff before. And therefore that's why I say there was an influence there. Um, you know, not only uh, how the game is played, but you know, Everybody remembers Henderson all these years later. Everybody remembers uh, Aruzioni all these years later. And that's why I think, I mean, yeah, it's good to, to have tributes to the team. But whatever category it is, um, you know, they say fame is fleeting. Uh, well, for those two guys, um, th- those moments should count. I think back to Zai's, I also think to what would it say on his Hall of Fame plaque? And to me, what it would say on his Hall of Fame plaque, scored a big goal. Like, you know, I mean, to boil it down, scored a huge goal. He didn't do anything else that was Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, uh, we can we could probably go round and round with this one, couldn't we? You don't you, you don't need a plaque. You just got their photos. That should <laughs> what, say it all. I wanted to ask you, and I hope I'm not yeah. jumping in ahead of Sean here, but we did touch on, and I'm changing the topic, by the way, because you're both ganging up on no, me. No, please just, do. Just pointing that, pointing that out. Um <laughs> Uh, I asked Sean about Daniel Alfredson and yep. his Hall of Fame worthiness. He, he obviously did not get in. It's his fourth year of eligibility. He's still not in the Hall of Fame. You covered a lot of Daniel Alfredson, a lot of those Senators-Leafs games. Is Daniel Alfredson a Hall of Famer? You know what? Like, if in my, in, in my estimation, uh, yes, uh, when you look at uh, – yeah, he didn't win anything from, uh, you know, from Ottawa. Um, Jason Spezza, I talked to earlier this week, he goes, you know, if we win the Stanley Cup uh, against the Anaheim Ducks uh, in the mid-2000s instead of losing to them in the final, he goes, well, you know what, it probably wouldn't be a debate. But Alfredson pretty much won everything that you could at the international level. And once again, we have to go and, and point out that it's not the NHL Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame. But I understand that he's one of these guys in the gray area. And if I'm going to make, uh, you know, the arguments of, you know, Kevin Lowe, I'm kind of come see, come saw about him, um, then I have to be the same about Alfredson. I mean, uh, I understand if he's in there and I understand if, I, if he doesn't. And, um, you know, if you're saying that I'm sitting on the fence, yeah, I am with this guy because he's one of those guys that's kind of in no man's land and uh, – you know, I, I, I mean, just watching the reaction up here from, from people in Ottawa today, I mean, they're thrilled that Hosa is in there, but they're almost more depo- disappointed um, that Alfredson didn't get in. So one of those kind of polarizing guys, I mean, I saw some a lot of great moments out of him, but there's a lot of people that, you know, unless you were following those Battle of Ontarios uh, for all those years, uh you know, uh, people maybe didn't realize just what a quality, as much of a quality player as he was. Uh, I, I, I think everybody knows that he was a very good player. Look, and that's the thing with all of this, right? It's so important to all of us because it's emotional. These are the players yeah. that we're tied to, right? And so somebody in Ottawa is like, oh, God, how could Daniel Alfredson not get in? For years as a kid, I was like, how could Cam Ealy not get in? That's who I grew up watching as a young man and, and you know, my formative years of yep. hockey, and I thought there was nobody better than him. But then he's one of those guys that you look at as the barrier now, right? And you're like, oh, my God, Cam Neely's in. How can this guy not be in? So it's a very emo- – this whole thing's very emotional because there there are heroes. It's a, it, the Hall of Fame is for heroes, um, and we're deciding who is a hero for everybody because now you walk in there and, and you've given the seal of approval, and that's a hero. And he might not be a hero to you, and you're like – 
well, my guy should get in and your guy is already yep. in. And this is so that's what makes this so much fun, but also so important because we're, we're bestowing a mythical thing on these players that carry so much weight with fans. And, and it's, it, it's a responsibility that that's almost unbelievable in it and, and how it's handled. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things, you know, with this committee is when they're done, it's always, a, it's always what about, like we almost forget the guys that are in and we're like, what about? And I just think it's because of you see the way the players react and, and, and everything else, the emotion of the whole thing being in, being out, what it all means is just, it's almost hard to comprehend at times. We talk about the, 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 the gray areas there and you make a great point, Sean. And I mean, both you guys grew up, uh, you know, um, on or near the eastern seaboard of the U.S. I mean, it is not the biggest lightning rod when you talk about, like, who should be in and who should be out. Don't people, uh, you know, at least of my generation, what you hear fans say the most is, well, if Clark Gillies is in, then player <laughs> so-and-so should be in. Um, you know, uh, am I not, am I, am I fairly accurate with that down there, too? Yeah, and if you asked Brian Trottier and Mike Bossy and Billy Smith, yep. uh, they would all say Clark Gillies is a Hall of Famer, just as if you asked Pat LaFontaine about McGillney and Jason Spezza about Alfredson and Wayne Gretzky yep. about Kevin Lowe and down on down the list. We could go all day, guys. The Hall of Fame debate is awesome, but we're going to wrap it right now. Thanks so much for hopping on with us and ganging up on me, all right? No problem. Sean, have me on again soon. We can do it again. It's fun ganging up on Dan, is it not? That's why I brought you on. I'm sick of him dominating the conversation. I figured we'd get him back. I'm always waiting in the bullpen for you guys, so just call me in. Thanks a lot for having me, and be safe. It was great getting Zai on to talk Hall of Fame stuff. And one thing with Zai, Sean, you know he is going to bring the opinions, and he certainly did that, even if it was a little ganging up on me, and that's okay. I can handle it. No problem, but uh, let's move on. We teased it before. Kevin Fiala is our second guest for the podcast, the Minnesota Wild Forward. Uh, We were able to catch up with him. I thought it was a very telling and revealing interview uh, with him. He's getting ready to come back to North America. And uh, look, I mean, he was one of the hottest players in the league before this pause happened. Yeah, and look, I was excited to talk to him for that exact reason. You wonder what's going to happen, you know, when we start playing, when we get to phase four and all these players, Mika Zabinijad, who, who you cover on a regular basis, there was nobody hotter in the league than him. And, and But are they going to be those same players when they come back after a hundred plus day layoff and a short training camp? Are teams that were ice cold before the, before the pause came not going to be as cold as they were before teams that were really hot, you know, all of these dynamics go into it. And I thought, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about Kevin with so many things, but one of the things that we talked about to me that was really revealing is kind of his mindset on how he can be the same player coming back and what it's going to take. And if it can even happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 26 points, 14 goals, 12 assists in the 18 games he played from February 4th to the end of the season. So we were lucky enough to catch up with him while he was still in Gothenburg, Sweden. Here's that interview with Kevin Fiala. Kevin, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Uh, You're in Gothenburg, Sweden. What's it been like there throughout this entire pause in the season? How's your training been going? Uh, What's been going on there? Hey, guys. Um, Yeah, I've been in Gothenburg all all summer long right now, those three months since the pause. Uh, Practicing uh, just like normal here in Sweden with the coronavirus. not very different than uh, than usual, but uh, still there's uh, some distance distancing there, and uh, so. But otherwise, uh, we practice on the ice and uh, practice hard. Yeah, working hard and uh, just making sure we are ready when it starts again. Is there a big NHL contingent that went home to Gothenburg that you guys work out with? And uh, we have some some NHL guys um, actually. So um yes we we have some but uh not all of them are uh, together in a group there's some uh there's like two or three groups who's in your group um Anton Bleed uh William Lagerson um Klingberg um Lundqvist that's like the group but we we um we have some others like 
we practice with with each other sometimes as well. Like Dalin is here and uh, some some other guys. Like there's we're actually like I think ten to fifteen NHL players here. Well, I must make practice pretty competitive at times, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the thinking. That's the that's the, the mindset right now to be uh, competitive to make sure we're ready when it starts. What is the discussion like amongst you guys about? coming back and returning to play here and, you know, living in the bubble and what that's going to be like. What are you guys there? I mean, you're in a group of NHL players, many of whom are going to be coming back. What, what is, uh, what are the coast conversations like? What are you guys talking about? It's, uh, it's mixed. I mean, it's a uh, difficult time. Uh, so many different, uh, yeah. I mean, so many different uh, information we get all the time. So, from the from day one to to right now, it's been uh, so so many mixed information from from uh, everybody kind of. So um, I think in the last two months or so, uh, in the start, we always talked like every day, almost like really every every day about what what we we're thinking, when we're gonna go back, what is gonna happen, and then in the kind of the, in the middle of this uh, twelve week. It's been kind of quiet for uh, I think a month. A month. We didn't talk too much. We just uh, kind of accepted that there is no news, you know, and uh, nobody knows. We didn't want to kind of spend any energy on talking about uh, about what is going to happen because we didn't we didn't know. We're not going to find out anyways. We said so. We just let it be. And then uh, some weeks ago, when they uh, when they um, brought up the the date of the training camp, and uh, so then we start talking again. But yeah, like I said before, um, everybody's excited. Uh, of course, everybody wants to play. Uh, I mean, we love we love to play hockey. That's uh, that's our that's our job. That's our love. So um, in the end of the day, I think everybody's going to be excited. Uh, to play for the Stanley Cup. Do you uh, do you have a date in mind to come back? Yes, actually Friday, twenty sixth. Time to pack and get ready. Oh yeah, time to pack. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm doing right now this week for sure. Uh, almost done. <laughs> As you prepare, Kevin, to come back, I'm I'm curious. You know, do you think that this could be one of the, the biggest challenges? I mean, we had Paul Maurice from the Winnipeg Jets on last week, and he was saying that the team that stays the hungriest and the team that stays the most focused through all this, because it's going to be so different, is probably going to be the team that comes out on top. I mean, what do you expect this challenge to be like when you get back and get playing again and you're living in a what you know we're calling a bubble and seeing the same people and doing the same thing over and over and over again day after day after day yes of course i mean it's going to be tough uh, for everybody um it's uh something that never happened before you know uh, to be a season that is paused i mean right now i think um i agree um the the team which stays uh, the most focused and the the most hungriest is going to win, I think. But I mean, everybody starts on zero. I think uh, it's it's paused. It's like three months ago. All the the momentum of the of the teams are gone, kind of. You know, you have to start over right now. You you have to get in shape again. You have to get game ready again. You have to. There's so many so many so many stuff you have to you have to fix so i think every every team that is uh, that is in right now in this uh, play in playoff has uh, as good of a chance to win as anybody so i think uh, with the injuries coming back as well it's it's, uh, it's probably going to be the toughest uh, Stanley Cup to win ever so you don't believe the the arguments that some people are having that they whoever wins this cup it, it's not as legitimate as the other ones that have been won in the past. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a different uh, kind of, it's going to be the Stanley Cup, you know, but uh, it's going to be a different kind of a win because, I mean, you're never going to forget this. It's going to be, it's, 
it was a coronavirus, it was paused, the season was paused. You went to your home hometown, kind of spend a, a summer, and uh, then you came back and you play playoffs. You didn't finish the regular season, and then uh, it's playoffs, and then there's Stanley Cup, you know. So it's uh, it's going to be a special Stanley Cup, but in my mind, it's it's uh, the ones who wins. It's uh, it's the same kind of a win, like like uh, like like the other years. When you saw the plan to come back and play, and and you the, you, the opponent for the Wild there, the the Vancouver Canucks. What what went through your mind? What was you know when you hear Canucks and know that they're going to be your opponent? What do you think of? What are your expectations? Um, what I thought of, I mean, uh, there's a, a very good team. I mean, uh, they're young, young group, uh, a lot of talent, a lot of speed, um, great goaltending, and uh, yeah, a tough, a tough, uh, tough team to to win. But uh, I like our chances, and uh, there was no, never a doubt in my team um, that we are not going to win. Like I said before, uh, it's gonna it's gonna start from zero, but I think the mindset is gonna be we have to to pick up where we left, you know. So and then we're we're gonna be fine, I think. Yeah, no no question about it. I mean, you guys you guys were playing well uh, right before the pause. I think you were you were eight and three in your last eleven games. You were fifteen seven and one in your last twenty three. If you think back to that before we even get to your hot streak. But if you think back to that, Kevin, what changed for the Wild? What what was the difference in terms of getting you guys going in the right direction again? And why, you know, can it just pick up from where it was? You know, understanding you're starting at zero, but like what allows you to believe that you can pick up from where you left off? You know, we we, we knew what, what position we were in, uh, especially last year when I came, we were at the playoff spot and then uh, like five games later we were out and we just never came back you know and I think uh, we re- realized it this year that we can't let this happen again we can't just slide off of that position we are you know so everybody just uh, played tighter and uh, just played better and uh, everybody stepped up you know and uh, goaltending as well. So I think I, I really liked uh, our team, our our game at the end of the, yeah, before the pause. But uh, yeah, like I said, we we have to pick up uh, where we left off. You know, that's the most important thing. And uh, I think everybody has to get in shape as quickly as possible and uh, just get together and uh, play like a team, play like, like we did the before the pause, and I think we're going to be fine. Everybody spent a lot of time this season trying to explain the success that you've had, um, you know, career year, and you've been home and skating and having a lot of time, obviously, to think about what happened. Can you explain why you were so good this year? Um, I think, uh, I mean, I practiced, uh, I worked hard, very hard in the last summer. I had a goal. Um, I had, uh, yeah, I had my goal, and uh, for sure that the team helped me. Um, had a tough start, all of us, including including myself, and uh, start of the year. So, and then it just went better and better, and uh, we picked it all up. And uh, I think uh, my teammates uh, just helped me so much. So it looked uh, made me it made it easier for me for sure. 26 points in your last 18 games. Uh, it's only a little under a quarter of a season, 18 games. But is that for you the turning point, you know, in your career? Are you turning the corner to be the player that you and a lot of people envisioned you would be when you were drafted? Um, of course, that's my goal. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, I was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was going pretty well for me in the end of the in the end of the season there so or in the and before the pause so that's that's uh that's uh that's a one season right now you know um i have to continue and uh redo it you know and that's 
what I'm gonna try to do for sure, and my focus is to yeah to pick up where I left off and uh, take my take my confidence with me again. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, that's that's what I want to be. That's the player I want to be. Kevin, how much of that is just maturity, both physical and mentally? Like, look, you came into the league as a 19 year old, and you know had had a lot of success before you got to the NHL, but the NHL's you know, clearly the best league in the world and it's different from most other hockey leagues. How much of you finding your way in the last two years has just been growing up both physically and and mentally and emotionally? Yeah, like you said, it's the best league in the world. It's 82 games as well. Coming from Europe, not playing as as much uh, games. It's, uh, it's tough, you know. Uh, when you have a high, it's going well. You know, and when you have a low, it's like the games are just going and going, you know. So you just have to. You, the the hardest thing was for me, for me was to find consistency, to find like every game, no matter what I'm gonna do, how I'm gonna play. If I play good or bad, I have to do the same stuff all over again, you know, to stay consistent and uh, and off the ice as well. Just uh, just working hard and. Uh, Doing everything possible to to be um, to be the best, you know, every day, not just uh, not just when I want to, but but yeah, just to earn uh, earn it every day, you know. Who's your role model for that? You know, the guy that you watched or followed, whether it was growing up or now in the league, be it a teammate, whoever that that you took that you that you've taken your cues from. Who's your role model for that? My role model was always Jarmi Jager, and a uh, very hard worker, by the way. <laughs> um, um, and then Sidney Crosby, when he came uh, to the league. So those two players I followed my whole life and uh, watched so many clips, so many highlights of them that, uh, yeah, a lot. Well, like we said when we were teasing the interview with Fiala, uh, I thought it was very revealing, Sean, and uh, it was great to catch up with him. Before we close this out, let's tease the draft lottery. The NHL draft lottery for 2020 is Friday night, and that is a huge night for some of these teams that are not coming back to play this season. The, the Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators, the Devils, the Ducks, the Kings, and the Sabres. It's not the San Jose Sharks. Their pick, if they get it, that's going to Ottawa in that Eric Carlson trade. But a big night coming up for these teams that need it badly. It's a huge night. Look, it can define your whole organization. Like we just spent time talking about the Hall of Fame and how many of those guys were were first and second picks that mm-hmm. you know went on to redefine who their organizations were. Um, so you know, you you look at that group of people you just mentioned, and uh, uh, that group of teams you just mentioned, and I think you have two very different groups, right? You have the teams that are on their way up and think that they're really close. The Devils have had a couple of first round picks, and and they feel like they should have been closer this year than they were. And if they can get some goaltending, they'll go back. And then you look at other teams, Ottawa and Detroit. You know, and they know they need to add, and they might still be a little ways away. I kind of like Ottawa's prospect. Uh, pool right now and uh, you know Belleville and AHL was really good if they add two of the top picks with San Jose's pick and they hit on both of those Ottawa's not very far away and that's kind of what Detroit has to do over the next two or three years I think yeah and that was the thought with the Ottawa Senators when they made all these moves is that they got a hit in the lottery and, and if they are able to do that they'll rebuild their whole base and and away they go because that's what teams do and I, for the Red Wings to me they're the they are the team in my estimation, that need this the most. They, every team needs it, but they have years. They have gone years without a, a high pick because of all their success. And now they've hit this rebuild and they still haven't been able to get anything above the number six pick, right? I mean, they got Zadina and they got Cider. To me, the Red Wings, based on where their prospect pool is as well, need a game-changing pick. Yeah, I, I don't argue with that at all. Who I'd like to see get it, just because they need some good news, is the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> what if the Buffalo yeah. Sabres get that first pick after the couple of weeks they just had, right? And now you add another top pick to, you know, Eichel and Ristolainen and Darlene, and all of a sudden, you know, 
you bring in you bring in a guy that can play next year and can have an impact, and you know maybe you're not as bad as you thought you were, and there would finally be yeah, some good news in Buffalo. No, they could definitely use it, and it's uh, that that guy is Lafreniere, who, who's I mean that's who it's going to be. And our Super Sixteen this week, before we go, our Super Sixteen this week is the best number one picks in the draft since 1980, and we we use 1980, right, Sean, because that was the year that the league lowered the draft age, the draft eligible age, to 18. Uh, not surprisingly, Mario Lemieux in 1984 was a unanimous number one for our Super 16. And Sidney Crosby, uh, number one, obviously, in 05, was a unanimous number two. Ovechkin was a close unanimous number three. I wonder where, I mean, if we did this in 20 years, I wonder what Lafreniere would be on that list if we go for the past 60 years instead of 40. That's the whole thing about this, right? You talk to everybody, Mike Morial, who's our guy, who knows everything about the draft and Adam Kilman. They do, they do the draft class podcast and, you know, they talk about this every week and it's a great listen, but you know, everybody's selling out Alex now, you know, all oh, this guy, he's going to be a game changer. You know who else was a game changer? Alexander Daig. Yeah. Couldn't miss with Alexander Daig. You couldn't yeah. miss with Patrick Stefan. Like there's been guys who have been number one picks that you couldn't miss Nail with. And teams, and teams missed and it kills you. To miss with that number one is just – that's more crushing than not having it is to actually have it and to squander it. So, you know, by all accounts, this kid is going to be – he's the he's the first player since Sidney Crosby to win player of the year in the Quebec League twice in a row. So that tells you a little bit about his credentials. But if for some reason he doesn't hit, oh, my God, it's going to be – OMG, as Zyze would say, it's going to be a disaster for whatever team gets him. We're done. I can't go anymore. There's been two or three OMGs on the podcast. That's it. We'll end it here. We'll talk about the draft lottery and the impact on the podcast next week. Uh, And I look forward to that, Sean. Later, man.